0: Welcome to another week of the Fiber Coven podcast. We're so happy to be here with each other and here with you talking about some yarny stuff and some witchy stuff. I'm Lauren from Valkyrie Fibers. And I'm Emily from Kitty with a Cupcake. To kick it off with some news, uh, we will be having our next crafty hangout on March 26th. That is a Saturday, Sunday. That Sunday. is a Sunday.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It is definitely a Sunday. And that will be at 5 p.m. Eastern or 8. 5 p.m pacific 8 p.m eastern i was yes. like wait <laughs> <laughs> such a hot mess yes patreon craft group sunday march 26 5 p.m pacific 8 p.m eastern we'll hang out for a couple hours bring whatever craft you want it's a virtual hangout bring whatever beverage you want and we'll just hang out and have a good time
1: yeah, and we're be supporting fine. our friend Clara, who is participating in the Knit for Food Knitathon that day, uh, which benefits an assortment of charities working to improve food insecurity for people. Uh, So that's awesome. Uh, We donated to that cause for our monthly Patreon donation this month. Uh, So if you want to contribute to Clara's team or any of the other fabulous knitters that are knitting along for this cause, you should check out the link on our Patreon. And that's a public post. So even if you're not a member of Patreon, you can go find that.
0: And then what shows will you be at
1: coming up, Emily? Oh, let me pull up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I know you've got one on the 26th because you won't be able to attend our craft hangout.
1: That's true. But that is, you know, oh, I guess this craft hangout is happening like right before this episode comes out on audio. We're good mm-hmm. at podcasting. uh. So if you're hearing Casting this on cards. audio, I'm sorry that event already happened, but we'll have another one next month. So, you know, check out the Patreon. Follow along. But mm-hmm. I will be at Craft and Outlaws at Midwest Craft Con on April 2nd in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, and I will also be at the Goblin Market in Marietta, Georgia on Saturday, April 22nd. Uh, so check that out. And then I have a virtual show uh, that was I just got into. Uh, it's The Darksome. Uh, craft show and that will be the 28th through 30th of april and i will have some sort of a coupon code or something for that yet but i don't know what it is yet Sweet, stay tuned for more details mm-hmm. i will also be doing a instagram live event for that on the 28th of april at uh noon i'll be packaging some print pins live on instagram fun mm-hmm. yay Cool. So into our
0: fiber-related content, you finished a thing, or nearly finished a thing?
1: I finished that shawl that I was working on.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Ooh, it's so pretty. It's a nice triangle shawl. It looks very generously sized, nice graphic stripes.
1: Yes. So it's a wing triangle. It's not a standard triangle shawl, which is what makes it um, easier to wear, because it has longer Mm -hmm. little pointy arm bits. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it wears really nicely. I like the colors a lot. Um, I just blocked it uh, and woven all the ends. And I'm thinking, so remember I didn't knit the second color of the blue into the shawl because mm-hmm. it was too close to this one. I'm considering mm-hmm. adding some tassels to the pointy bits with this blue. On all three pointy bits? On all three pointy bits. What do we think about it? I like
0: that? it. I think that sounds fantastic.
1: Because I really like my um, What the Fade shawl I knit a few years ago. Um, I wear that one a lot because it stays put, I think, because of the Mm -hmm. the weight of the tassels on the ends. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think I'm going to make up some tassels. So this is finished, kind of. I'll show it to you next week once it has those tassels on there.
0: I like it. It's so fun. It's very much your color aesthetic. It's all... Bright and pastel and happy and fun,
1: yeah, I think I think it's gonna be a good uh shawl to wear to uh shows. It will match my outfits that I wear to shows. um mm-hmm. that was the purpose of it, so I did a good job, and that will be coming out as a pattern at some point. Uh, I'm not gonna give you a date because I'll have to do a whole photo shoot and that kind of thing for it. so in a bit, mm-hmm. keep your eyes peeled, yay. I haven't been
0: doing a ton. I just have my same two projects, but I wanted to show you my blanket. It's so funny how graphically you can see my weather. And um, (laughs) the last few days we've had rain and not snow. And instead of being gray purple whites it's all bluey blues of various mm-hmm. tones and it's making me very happy I am almost hoping that spring might be here it's so much fun so yes the and I'm doing the heirloom temperature blanket it is a mosaic crochet blanket designed by Soraya Hussein, and it's really unique because it uses a temperature for the high and low and that makes it have a lot more visual contrast and interest and I love it
1: it's pretty I have mm-hmm. a blanket too would you like to see it
0: no, of course I would like to see it.
1: <laughs> it's my Northeasterly blanket that I'm knitting in the Fellowship mm-hmm. of the Ring mini skeins by Lantern mm-hmm. Fibers, And I finished my old Toby stripe. Yeah, you have four
0: chevron stripes.
1: I do. And I'm well into <gasps> the 111th birthday, which I oh, love. It's so pretty. I love <sighs> this in the skein. I love it wound up. I love yes, it. Yes, this one's Knit more highly variegated than the others. Yes. Uh, but it's just so pretty. It has the like sagey weedy greens of the old Toby. It has the, this yellow is the next stripe color, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And it has this nice like maroon in there. And it is doing the fun little like kind of arrow stripey's that this pattern Mm -hmm. does but yeah I really like this color she's having a shopped up she might have already had it or she's having it really soon a shop Mm -hmm. update with 12 of the Lord of the Rings colors and I am tempted to get a full skein of this one because it's so nice how nice would Mm -hmm. that be to have like socks in that or something
0: Mm -hmm. it would be super fun I'd love to see how the variegation works up in stockinette stitch instead of garter yeah that's super fun The only other, well, I've been working on a couple things. I've been working on my enormous poncho and it continues to be enormous. My mother texted me. She's like, oh, did you finish? I'm like, ha ha ha. No, I'm doing this on size threes or fours, something stupid. Um, (laughs) But I have so much more color. I'm just working the body of my poncho and it's a giant square and I'm putting some colorful stripes in here. The main body is oatmeal and then I have a dark brown stripes and then I have some green tweety hand spun and it's pretty I I like
1: I like the colors
0: yeah yeah I'm excited to to finish the main body and I'm thinking I'm gonna elongate the front and the back of it but obviously I only want the sides to be as long as my wingspan so I'm getting close I'm gonna essentially mirror the pattern make sure it's symmetrical and then I'm gonna bind off the sides and I'll be really excited to have it be a more manageable size to work on and I might even work on it while I'm wearing it you never know (laughs) <laughs> it's going crazy but the only other thing i've been working on is i've been actually spinning a fair amount oh. i've been working up the sweater quantity of rolex that i got from our friend rena who's rapunzel fiber arts and i've been spinning them up on my turkish spindle i'm going for a three ply and it's t- uh, the base is tonal gray but with so many fun tweedy flecks of multi-colors in there and I, I think i'm almost through my first i got about three ounces so far spun up and I feel pretty good about it once I get to maybe like four more like four to six ounces spun up I'll ply them and see if how I'm liking it but I got a pound of fiber total so I'll be working on this for a while but I think it's really fun and pretty and each roll egg makes me so happy it's so much fun
1: Yay! what
0: else have you been working on
1: uh, I worked a bit on that Musselberg hat but it looks the same it's just a tube still so I'm not gonna mm-hmm. it out. yeah yeah
0: oh my gosh are we ready to talk about a brief acquisition and then continue our cold corner
1: yeah I got a brief acquisition it's actually a big acquisition but I haven't it's a board game and I haven't played it yet yeah. it's a board game that I <laughs> kickstarted like two years ago uh, it's mm-hmm. called Steam Up and it is a dim sum themed board game and it has the cutest little pieces. It has the little dim sum bamboo steamers with little 3D dim sums in them and they're different shapes. There's chicken feet, there's shumai, there's bao and it's so cute and, I can- and we're going to play it this week and I'm really excited about it. But yeah. Your goal is to eat the most dim sum, so you pick up the little pieces from the little baskets and you like play as one of the 12 zodiac animals, and it just looks so cute. I'm very excited. It
0: sounds frighteningly cute.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, it's gonna make me want to eat dim sum though, which is not a thing that I can find easily in Louisville.
0: So I'll have to go to Wow Bow or something.
1: Making Bows really easy, you should try it. I should I should make my husband try it
0: (laughs) Uh, I've been experimenting with cooking like vegetarian and vegan bow, and it's been fun Mm -hmm. yeah anyway bao board game delicious we love them yes anyway something that could not be less delicious and wholesome is our topic for a cult corner we thought at the beginning of this experience that we were just going to do a nice, light little talk about some spooky people, and it has turned into a whole obsession for the two of us. Yeah. So if you've been listening to this in order all along, you'll know we talked about Alistair Crowley, like he's Crowley. pretty much the kick Crowley. Yeah. Yes. Alistair Crowley. I'm i put trying that in to my help notes. us do it right. <laughs> mhm. Yes, so he's pretty much the king of modern occultism. Um, we talked about his like disciple Jack Parsons, and now we're going to talk about the guy who took some of those things and ran and ran and ran and ran. This is less occulty but more culty. But the two of us really enjoy learning about cult dynamics and that sort of a thing. So we're going to start with a lengthy biography on Lafayette Ronald Hubbard. Take it away, Emily.
1: Oh, (laughs) okay. Lafayette Ronald Hubbard was born March 13th in 1911 in Tilden, Nebraska. His parents were LaDora May Waterbury and Harry Ross Hubbard. His father was a former naval officer and his father rejoined the Navy in 1917 Uh, When Lafayette was just a child during World War One. So during the 1920s, they moved around the United States and overseas uh, quite a bit because of his father's naval career. So they're like, you know, being a little military brat situation. Hubbard attended an assortment of high schools during his schooling. Uh, He went to Queen Anne High School in Seattle in 1925, and then his father was posted to Guam in 1927. So him and his mother traveled to Guam, Japan, and China. He wasn't really continuing to go to high school during that time. And we have some expected racist quotes about Japanese and Chinese people that he said during this time. Continuing the trend of these dudes (laughs) being really exoticism-y about uh, traveling to Asia.
0: Yeah, that's a big theme in his work from what I understand. But yeah, it was pretty much standard fare for like what an American would have said. It wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Standard 1920s racist, not extra level 1920s racist. So far so far <laughs> um, and then in september 1927 uh he was living with his grandparents back in the states while his parents were still in guam and he enrolled in helena high school this is kind of like the origin of his writing career as he started to contribute to the school paper and get into writing uh and he had just like terrible grades throughout all of his schooling and he flunked in may of 1928 so after he flunked out of high school, he went back to Guam with his parents and spent some time traveling in Asia with them. He wrote a lot of short stories and essays during this time, and he took the Naval Academy entrance, but he failed it. So in September of 1929, he enrolls at the Swavely Preparatory School in Virginia, and this was an attempt to prepare to take the Naval Academy exam again. But he complained about eye strain during the first semester uh, at school, and he was diagnosed with nearsightedness, which prevented him to ever be able to enroll at the Naval Academy.
0: Did it stop him? I don't think it will. It doesn't. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, are, we gonna, are we not going to talk about the things
1: he lied about? Or are we going to talk about that later about his oh.
0: early years?
1: Oh, we're, we're gonna. T- I mean, what, what, what is one that you, what he, we've already hit in his life that he lied about that you want to bring so, up? I got some. <laughs> so I, I listened, well, I, I
0: was dying yesterday and I put on the Behind the Bastard series on LRH, which, you know, like you do. And uh, one of his favorite lies about his childhood is that he was the youngest Eagle Scout ever and that he was made a blood brother of the Lakota or no, the Blackfeet.
1: Mm-hmm. Cause he, he's, yeah. Yeah. These are some. Yeah, yeah, um, he, he lied about those things. later in life, so okay. I wasn't covering them at this point because he hasn't started <laughs> to lie about that yet. He was, he was in the Boy Scouts, but he was not the youngest Eagle Scout ever. That's mm-hmm. like, you know, that's extra. He he's a narcissist, and we we will we will see that again and again. <laughs> so he transfers to Woodward School for Boys in D.C. after not wanting to go to the su- suavely preparatory school anymore because he's not going to get into the Naval Academy. And he chooses this school because this school has a pipeline of be- being able to attend George Washington University in D.C. without having to take the entrance exam. And we have already seen that he gets really bad grades and is a really bad test taker. So that was a probably good decision for him. And he did actually graduate from this high school. So way well, to good. go. Um, and he did start studying at GW in 1930 in the school of engineering which was his father's wish and he did Mm -hmm. super poorly and he was placed on probation for poor grades like right away in his first semester (laughs) Um, engineering's hard yeah and then in 1932 he organized a trip to the Caribbean oh I love this part (laughs) (laughs) to explore quote pirate strongholds and biovacs of the Spanish Maine and to quote collect whatever one collects for exhibits in museums <laughs> uh, this trip was ultimately cut short uh, because they didn't have enough funds for the expedition so the ship's owners ordered it back to Baltimore and they, they didn't actually do this exploring and uh Oh, they were going to dress up in pirate costumes and film it, too! They were. They were. It's true.
0: (laughs) Can you imagine how miserable that boat would have been? Just full of, like, I'm guessing 17 to 20-year-old boys. Yeah. (laughs) Just thinking that they're going to get down into the Spanish main and discover treasure and, like, hook up with ladies. Yeah.
1: Yikes. Oh, man. (laughs) So so bad so he didn't return to college after this oh this, he does no he didn't he's at did those failed boats who are like as part of college with college people and then was embarrassed or just didn't care to return back to college doesn't go back to college after that failed boat trip number one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh are we gonna start keeping track we probably there's a lot of them we probably should <laughs> i'll um, jot them down So after he drops out of college, his father volunteers him for a Red Cross relief mission in Puerto Rico. And on the way to the relief mission, Lafayette decides that he's going to abandon the Red Cross and instead uh, goes to hunt for gold unsuccessfully in Puerto Rico. Great. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But he will never stop saying that he was a prospector because of this. He, I mean, he was a prospector, just not a good one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I mean, he kind of like, you know, just bummed around with an actual prospector, right? (laughs) And it Mm -hmm. wasn't for very long. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's for less than a year. So he returns from Puerto Rico and he starts a relationship with Margaret Polly Grubb, who is his first wife. They were married on April 13th, 1932. She was pregnant when they got married, but suffered a miscarriage, but she got pregnant again shortly later and gave birth to Lafayette Ronald Hubbard Jr., who was nicknamed Nibs. I'm
0: sure all of Lafayette's children will have doting, caring parents that treat them nicely.
1: Of course. (laughs) Uh, And they had a daughter named Catherine May, born in 1936. So during this time, while well, he's like kind of being a family dude, he's got the wife and kids, the family's super low on money, so he takes up writing for Pulp Fiction magazines. Uh, and he's really prolific. He's writing a bunch. Thrilling Adventures was the first publication to publish one of his short stories. Um, and he used an assortment of funny pen names for these short stories, uh, oh, yeah. which I would I like these. to read to you. <laughs> yes. Gimme winchester remington colt i love it (laughs) kurt von ratchen nice renee lafayette closest to his own name (laughs) Mm -hmm. joe blitz wow legionnaire 148 that one's these are these are all like screen names
0: that a 14 year old boy would pick for call of duty for sure For sure.
1: (laughs) Uh, um, So the family moves to Washington state and, you know, they just like throughout pretty much up until he founds his religions. He is just like struggling for money. Um, So assume he's struggling for money all the time. His first full length novel was published in 1937 Buckskin Brigades. uh, And he started to work closely with John W. Campbell what what you got you got something to say about buckskin brigades there <laughs> sounds like it could be an adult film it does, doesn't it? <laughs> An
0: adult film featuring exclusively male performers.
1: <laughs> anyway, continue. Uh, so he starts to work with D- John W. Campbell and published many novellas and short stories through Campbell's magazines. He also wrote the script for "The Secret of Treasure Island," which was a 1938 Columbia movie serial series. So he did some movie scripts too. Who never stop saying that he was a screen- Hollywood screenwriter. Yep. It was really just like this and like maybe a couple other really small projects. He wasn't like prominent in it. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, sp- he starts traveling to New York City a lot and that's like for publishing reasons because he's like meeting with magazine people and stuff. And Polly mm-hmm. suspects that he's having affairs while he's there. Uh, mm-hmm. And in 1938, he has a dental procedure, and he reacted badly to a drug that was used during it. And according to him, this triggered a near-death experience. And this is kind of like what gets him to start being spooky. So because of this, he wrote the manuscript Excalibur. You know oh, about yes.
0: This? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes.
1: <laughs> and this Tell is me. Kind of, it's kind of a precursor to Dianetics, but which is Dianetics is the precursor to Scientology. Trust me, we're going to get way into that in the next episode. But so he writes Excalibur and it's like all about how there's like life beyond and that kind of stuff. And he thought this is his words that uh, this work would revolutionize everything. And again, this is a quote, it was somewhat more important and would have a greater impact upon people than the Bible. So this is like, he thinks this is a huge deal. And he tries to sell it to publishers in New York, but no one wants it. No one's biting. Notes, delusions of grandeur. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And he's depressed that no one wants to buy it. And this is something that he uh, wrote to his wife. Uh, and b- before this little bit I'm going to read, He there's some stuff about how he feels pump- Pulp Fiction writing is beneath him because he's written this like, you know, new Bible work. And uh, he wrote, sooner or later, Excalibur will be published, and I may have a chance to get some name recognition out of it so as to pave the way to articles and comments, which are my ideas of writing heaven. Foolishly, perhaps, but determined nonetheless. I have high hopes of smashing my name into history so violently that it will take a legendary form, even if all books are destroyed. That goal is the real goal as far as I'm concerned. I think he succeeded. He did. He, he, I mean, he's setting goals for himself. I can't uh, wait to hear
0: about the other goals he sets for himself.
1: Just like smashing my name into, into history so violently is such like of the quote. it's such like a dude thing to say right i'm just gonna ram jam gonna... my name <laughs> in dry ah! <laughs> <laughs> um so this is a this is a thing that he lies about later in his career i do have this one so not like currently contemporary during this time that he wrote this but later Once we're doing the Dianetics and the Scientology things, he claimed uh, that whoever read Excalibur either went insane or committed suicide because it's just like. Such a profound work and so much about the afterlife that you can't go on living after you read it. And he claims that he had shown it to a publisher in New York who called like the person who pre-read the manuscript. And that person came in, threw the manuscript on the table and then threw themselves out of a skyscraper window. Like you do. So he's depressed that no one wants to buy Excalibur. So it's time to do a second failed boat trip. Yes, number two. So he joins the Explorers Club in 1940, and he persuades them to let him go on an Alaskan radio experimental expedition. And the crew of the ship is just him and Polly. That's it. (laughs) And they get two days out after leaving, and the ship breaks down, and they get stuck in Ketchikan, Alaska. And they don't have any money to repair the ship's engine that's broken <laughs> so they're stuck there and he are writes kids there too i think it's just them i think the kids are okay maybe with the grandparents okay. um yeah and so he has to write short stories and uh <laughs> com- contributes to the local radio station <laughs> to raise money to fix the boat and they don't actually go on their expedition they just raise the money to get back <laughs> oh i love it so after this after he's had two failed boat <laughs> trips. So now it's time to join the Navy. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so remember what about the put- entrance exam. <laughs> well, so that was just for the uh, the Naval Academy, which is how you get to be like a higher officer, but he's joining the Navy like at a lower level. So he- there was like a little war going on. It's also World War II. So they're like not picky right now. So he ha- he had his friend, Robert McDonald Ford, write a letter of recommendation for him. Uh, and this is a quote from that letter of re- recommendation. Hubbard is one of the most brilliant men I've ever known. And Ford later admitted that Hubbard wrote the letter himself <laughs> and that Ford just gave him the letterhead. So he wrote that about himself. <laughs> <sighs> Classic. So he enters the Navy as a lieutenant junior grade. And he's in the Naval Reserve in 1941. And he's like a lower level officer because he didn't go through the academy. Right. And he was posted to the Philippines as an intelligence officer. But while he is waiting transport to Manila, he's sent back to the United States with Uh, (laughs) This naval attache report. This officer is not satisfactory for independent duty assignment. He is garrulous and tries to give impressions of his importance. He also seems to think that he has unusual ability in most lines. These characteristics indicate that he will require close supervision for satisfactory performance of any intelligence duty. Uh, kind of a warning sign there. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't give this man boats. if That's what you're writing about him. But, uh, they, they give him a boat. <laughs> so... A little one though, right? Well, first they it's give a him a little one. First, the, first they give him a gumboat. Uh, in Massachusetts but mm-hmm. just days after he is assigned to this gunboat but like not even on it yet the commandant of the Boston Naval Yard wrote to Washington DC that Hubbard was quote not temporarily fitted for independent command so he was relieved of his command like before he even got on this boat <laughs> uh-huh. good job good job Navy then he was sent to submarine chaser training and was posted in Portland to take command of a submarine chaser, which is a little boat. Um Portland, Oregon, we will say. Yes, Portland, Oregon. And this maybe seems like a bad idea after he has been rejected from two former commands, but it's the 40s, so the Navy's like super desperate, I guess. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, and the USS PC. 815, departed for San Diego for a test voyage. Five hours into this voyage, Hubbard thinks that he has detected an enemy submarine. (laughs) He then spends the next 68 hours engaged in combat until he finally receives orders to return. (laughs) Uh, I love that that, what is it, 68 hours is him just dropping
0: every explosive (laughs) he has on this boat into the ocean.
1: Yeah, at nothing, at <laughs> literally nothing. <laughs> it's a Japanese submarine. <laughs> uh, and it was concluded that he had mistaken a known magnetic deposit for an enemy sub. Really basic. <laughs> and they didn't take, they didn't kick him out of the Navy or take command away from him after this. He gets another boat. Well, it's the same boat. He continues to have that boat. Um, Uh So the next month, literally a month after that, after he has a fake pretend battle for 68 hours, Mm -hmm. he sails into Mexican waters accidentally and conducts gunnery practice off the Coronado Islands. (laughs) And he believed that they were A, inhabited and B, belonged to the United States which neither of those things are true. They belong to Mexico and people live there. <laughs> so oh, no. the Mexican government obviously complained about this. And that this crazy American naval just, like, boat is firing <laughs> onto an inhabited island. Uh, and uh, yeah, so they complained and he was finally relieved of command at this point. The uh, the report said he was lacking in the experience essential qualities of judgment leadership and cooperation (laughs) and recommended that he be assigned to duty on a large vessel where he could be properly supervised then he doesn't like that because he wants to be in charge so he wants to bomb the ocean (laughs) (laughs) so he uh begins to fake a bunch of illnesses Uh, Mm -hmm. including ulcers, malaria, back pains, etc. And the Navy's like, okay, fine. We're going to transfer you to the School of Military Government in Princeton where you can, like, teach people how to do stuff. Don't know why they want him teaching people how to do stuff. But it's, you know, it's World War II. (laughs) They, They need people. So... There, he continues to complain about more stuff. He complains about headaches, rheumatism, conjunctivitis, pains in his side, arthritis, and hemorrhoids. And he's admitted to a naval hospital. And basically his plan was to wait it out until the end of World War II. So in 1946, a month after being discharged from the naval hospital, he was transferred to inactive duty because like the war's over and the Navy's. Is- basically sick of him at this point so he's still he's still in the navy but he's like in the reserve in the states he's not he doesn't have an active post um so after this he claims that he was quote abandoned by family and friends as a supposedly hopeless criminal and probable burden upon them for the rest of my days Mm-hmm. but that because is- he was so disabled he had so many health concerns Cor- correct correct Um uh, mm-hmm. but his daughter says that it's because he he wanted to move to california and like permanently relocate to california but his wife didn't want to move the kids from washington mm-hmm. uh, and yes that's right you heard california which means it's time to hang out with jack parsons he was healthy enough to 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 bang there he
0: was yeah his hemorrhoids and ulcers did not bother him so much that he couldn't plow his way through the parsonage (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, yes um so this is what our friend jack parsons uh subject of our previous two episodes wrote to alistair crowley uh subject of the previous previous two episodes <laughs> about El Ron hubbard Hubbard is a gentleman. He has red hair, green eyes, is honest and intelligent, and we have become great friends. He moved in with me about two months ago, and although Betty and I are still friendly, she has transferred her sexual affection to Ron. Although he has no formal training in magic, he has an extraordinary amount of experience and understanding in the field. From some of his experiences, I deduce that he is in direct touch with some higher intelligence, possibly his guardian angel. He describes his angel as a beautiful, winged woman with red hair, whom he calls the Empress, and who has guided him through his life and saved him many times. He is the most Thelemic person I have ever met and is in complete accord with our own principles. Poor Jack Parsons. (laughs) So... The two of them, this is when they're collaborating on their sex magic rituals to try and summon the goddess, the moon child, uh, like we talked about last time. After they they do some of their sex magic rituals, um, Hubbard and Parsons invest together in a partnership. And we talked about this a little bit last time, but a little more detail. It's called Allied Enterprises. And the idea is that they're going to buy yachts in Miami and then sail them back to the West Coast for a profit. And as we discussed earlier, oh my the vast gosh. amount of money for this Enterprise was put up by Parsons and like Hubbard and Sarah barely like put anything in. Um, putting Allied Enterprises down as failed
0: boat trip number four.
1: Oh, for sure. Well, it, it, we even explicitly get on a boat and fail at getting on the boat in a moment here. <laughs> so, uh <laughs> Hubbard clearly never intended for this like plan of driving boats from Miami to the West Coast to actually be a thing because at this time he wrote to the navy who he was still in reserve with that he wanted to request permission to leave the cr- country to visit central and south america and china for the purpose of collecting writing material so he's basically like planning a world cruise and he just wants to like take this boat that they're buying and go you know screw off to the rest of the world take jack parsons 20 grand and his underage
0: girlfriend who's now legal
1: mm-hmm. yes um <laughs> so something that's funny about this to me is that alistair crowley saw the the grift of this and mm-hmm. uh, actually wrote about this business venture between parsons and hubbard and he said he suspects ron of playing a confidence trick jack parsons weak fool obvious victim prowling swindlers um, accurate and- yeah, and Parsons tried to get his money back. He got an injunction to prevent Hubbard and Sarah from leaving the country. They, of course, tried to go anyway, because, but because Hubbard is so unlucky slash bad at boats, they were forced back by a storm. Jack Parsons uh, summoned a squall with his magic. Yeah. <laughs> And mm-hmm. uh the business was dissolved, and Jack Parsons basically got an IOU from Hubbard and had to and he had to sell his uh mansion to recoup his losses. So that's mm-hmm. the end of their friendship. Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Understandably so. So Hubbard married Sarah, formerly Jack Parsons' underage girlfriend, sister of Jack Parsons' first wife. First wife. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. On August 10th, 1946, while he was still legally married to Polly. And Polly didn't find out t- that he had remarried until 1947. And then she filed for a divorce. And she was given custody of the kids.
0: Sarah Northrop has a type. And it is charismatic, unhinged man.
1: <laughs> it's true. Around this time, he wrote a document, The Affirmations. Oh, yes. Which are a series of statements written by and addressed to himself. And some of his biographers believe that some of th- these are some of the most truthful writings that he ever made. And I have I have a bunch of them written down if you would like to hear some of them. So there's like there's sections of them. The first one is course one. And they're some of the more basic ones. They are I can write. My mind is still brilliant. That masturbation was no sin or crime. Mm hmm. That I do not need to have ulcers anymore. So like really clearly <laughs> the ulcers for the Navy were super fake. <laughs> that I am un—that I am fortunate in losing Polly and my parents for they never met well by me. Oh, okay. That the numbers 7, 25, and 16 are not unlucky or evil for me. Okay. That I am not bad to look upon. Nobody said that he was ugly. He seemed to be a very striking fellow from what I understand. It's just a funny thing to have a mantra about. <laughs> mm-hmm. That I am not susceptible to colds. That Sarah is always beautiful to me. Damn, that's so harsh. Mm-hmm. That these words and commands are like fire and will sear themselves into every corner of my being, making me happy and well and confident forever. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. So then course two, they they get a little more involved. Your eyes are getting progressively better. They became bad when you used them an ex- as an excuse to escape the Naval Academy. You have no reason to keep them bad. This is kind of that, like, manifest your way into better health sort of stuff.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. The poly one was actually in course, too. I had I had mm-hmm. moved it incorrectly. Uh, mm-hmm. Your stomach trouble you used as an excuse to keep the Navy from punishing you. You were free of the Navy. Mm-hmm. Your foot was an alibi. The injury is is no longer needed. Testosterone blends easily with your own hormones. You have no fear of what any woman may think of your bed conduct. You know you are a master. You know they will be thrilled. You can come many times without weariness. Many women are not capable of pleasure in sex, and anything adverse they say or do has no effect whatsoever on your pleasure. (laughs) Wow. Yikes. (laughs) Okay. And then there's a third series of them called the book and that has like that like is getting a little bit more woo cuz we're getting like closer to founding religion. Uh and mm-hmm. that is you are radiant like sunlight, you can read music, which is like kind of a weird thing to just like declare on paper if you actually can read music.
0: <laughs> but you can
1: learn to do that. It's oh, but it's easier mm-hmm. to just write it down. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you are a magnificent writer who has thrilled millions. Okay. Ability to drop into a trance state at will. Okay. You did a fine job in the navy. No one there is out to get you now.
0: <laughs> oh, that's a little sad.
1: Hmm. Wait, I that- guess that is he was that's like the dark side here. Mexico. <laughs> that's the dark
0: side to having the. Delusions of grandeur is that you get that the flip side of that coin is paranoia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you are psychic. You do mm-hmm. not masturbate. Previously Which goes in contrast, Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. You do not know anger. Your patience is infinite. Mm-hmm. Snakes are not dangerous to you. There are no snakes in the bottom of your bed. Oh, <laughs> that's a weird one. Uh, you believe implicitly in God. You have no doubts of the all powerful. You believe your guardian perfectly. Okay. So those are just those are those are some segments from the affirmations just get get an idea of what's going on in the oldie Hubbard brain.
0: Wow. That's so interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Sarah and Lafayette settle in Laguna Beach, California. And he takes a job uh looking after a friend's yacht and he sells. Oh. Si- Yep, yep. <laughs> good good idea, friend, trust him with the yacht. Um I don't think he did anything with this yacht. I don't have any notes on him, you know, stealing this yacht or anything. Uh but he sells science fiction stories and continues to struggle financially and at this time he requests an increase in pension from the VA. And he gets it. And he also notably requests psychiatric care from the VA. And this hmm. is notable because Scientology is famously anti psychiatry, but there are like official government records where he was requesting psychiatric care. Interesting. Um, yeah. And after this, he found Dianetics. So next week, we'll talk. About the first the the proto-religion he founded, Dianetics and then Scientology and some more ridiculous boating misadventures. Oh my gosh.
0: Well, this discussion of his first four failed boat expeditions has been great. I cannot wait to hear about more. What do you think the final count of failed boat expeditions is gonna be?
1: I mean, what are we at right now? Four. Four. I mean, there's gotta there's at least five, right? I don't know if there's more in between. Yeah. I mean, he's pretty busy like writing religious books in between yeah. these boating expeditions and, you know, the big one. So, yeah. Which that one should count for several, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we could count it as like
0: how many boats he ruined. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, so many. We're going to hear about so many more exciting boat adventures and brand new religions that L. Ron Hubbard not a narcissist at all made up
1: that are still doing things today
0: hooray, hooray this is great question mark <laughs> i love it and i can't wait to talk about dianetics with you next week
1: oh yes okay and we, so, we still got another wife to get to too he doesn't keep Sarah oh, yeah. around permanently
0: no no
1: these five boat
0: failures at least three marriages that none of them end well mm It is quite the train wreck. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll do a little promo and then be on our way. I am having a shop update on March 26th. That's a Sunday. I know that now. Uh, I'll be having some new Star Wars yarn. Actually, I just dyed up some Bo-Katan yarn. Self-striping. And it looks pretty dope, but I don't have it to show yet. It should be fun. Anyway, my shop
1: updates on Sundays are always at 9 a.m. Pacific. See you there. Nice. Uh, mm-hmm. I have my fairy pocket pin up on my website right now, and I will have my brand new Zodiac Merit badges uh, in April. So keep your eyeballs out for that. Great.
0: So if you're looking to find us anywhere around the internet, please just head to fibercoven.com. That will have show notes for what you just heard here. We'll have links to anything we sell and as well as to our Patreon, where we have a super rad group of people and we do crafty hangouts. So, like I said, if you're looking for any more information on us, our content, or our products, just head on over to cybercoven.com. And until next week, Coven, keep making yarn magic.
1: Bye! Bye.